Transracial adoption, which is simply the term used when adults from one race adopt a child from a different race, has become more and more common, but it still has its challenges. In today's podcast, we are speaking with Slim Thompson. Slim is the pastor of Mosaic Church in Waco, Texas, father of three children, one biological child, and two adopted children. Today, we will talk to Slim about his journey as a father raising three children. For context, I think it's important to note that Slim is a white man and that his two adopted children are African-American and Hispanic. Today, we will talk to Slim about his experience as a father raising children of a different race. Welcome to the Amazing Dad podcast presented by Starry, S-T-A-R-R-Y. I am Marlon Jones, Director of Fatherhood Services for Starry. I have four children, two boys, two girls, ages 12, 10, 8, and 6, and I have the gray hairs to prove it. Daddy, can I show you something? Stop! It's my toy! Can I get my phone back? Hey, Dad, I got practice tonight. Dads are amazing! I would like to welcome Slim to the Amazing Dad podcast. Slim, welcome. Uh, well, thank you for inviting me on here. I'm happy to be here. Great. Uh, could you just start by telling us about yourself? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, as you said, uh, I'm an adoptive dad um, of two boys. Um, one is Hispanic, one is African American, and we also have one child uh, biologically. Um, and so both, uh, I'm also a husband, and both uh, me and my wife are white, and so our our biological uh, son is also white. Um, yeah, we've uh, did this, our pastor of this new church plant here in East Waco called Mosaic uh, and a uh, friend uh, of Marlon here and uh, uh, love living in Waco for the last eight or nine years or so um, and enjoy enjoying uh, getting to explore even different sides of the city now. Excellent. Well, let's jump right into it. Can you just share what led you and your mm-hmm. wife to the decision to adopt? Yeah. Well, my wife and I, we actually uh, dated in high school. Uh, <laughs> wow. So uh, I used to do youth ministry. I used to, you know, make parents scared. I said, well, so that means every child, every, you know, every person your kid dates, they're probably going to end up marrying. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, when we were dating in high school, um, she knew I wanted to be a pastor and she said, mm, I don't know if I want to be a pastor's wife <laughs> and all of the stereotypes that come with that. And she said, well, if I'm going to be a pastor's wife, then I want you to do this. And, uh, she handed me this, this book called a child called it. Um, and it was a book mm. that she had read in, in middle school. And so she had been convinced that she wanted to, um, foster and adopt um, ever since middle school. And it, it's just the story of the, the abuse this one child received while in foster care from his foster parents and specifically his foster mother. Um, but the, the heartbreaking part of that story was um, his, his, the foster dad saw all of the abuse happen and did nothing. And wow. he, the, the boy ends up saying to the dad, like he basically I, I'm, I'm, I'm more uh, hurt by you because you saw it and you did nothing. And, and so it was just, it was like one of these emotional pleas. Like if you see this, why would you do nothing? And so it was one of those that said, well, we can't do nothing. 
So we both said, yes, let's do it whenever we um, feel like we're, we're ready to. And so we got married. Uh, she went to Baylor. I went to AM. and uh, We moved out to uh, North Carolina to, to do a seminary. Came back to Waco after a few years. And that's when we said, let's let's do this. And so that's when we um, went through licensing to, to do foster care um, with the intention, if any child did come, um, you know, if parental rights were terminated, that we would be happy to adopt. Did, did you always know that you would adopt children of a different race? No. Um, I mean, our, our approach was just, you know, just to care for whoever came into our home. And so we had about eight uh, foster children who were able to come into our home in the, um, over the span of a couple of years. And uh, just these two um, were ones that became adoptable. And so we really just, you know, the goal is, you know, reunification. And so, um, you know, a number of the kids that came into our home, uh, you know, were not children of a different race. Uh, and so that's just that's kind of how, how it worked out. And so you, you, you really, before you were married, knew that you were going uh, to eventually adopt. You started by, by, by being foster care parents. How did you know um, that the two children that you adopted, how did you know uh, that they were the children that would be a part of your forever family? Um, well, yes, yeah, so we, um, the only stipulations that we told the, the agency about kind of, you know, what child we would take, uh, we just said, you know, as long as they were younger than our oldest son, and we just said, you know, let's just keep it that way. And, uh, so whether, whether, whatever, uh, uh, gender, whatever, uh, ethnicity, whatever it may be, we just said, we'll, we'll take whoever comes in and just, you know, so we had some, we had a, you know, a white girl, we had some Hispanic boys, um, uh, you know, African American uh, girl, you know, we so we had a, a kind of a, a across the spectrum, but just these two were the ones that um, be, the agency said the parental rights were, um, you know, terminated and they didn't have kinship to go to or other family members to go to. Um, and that's when we were able to adopt them. So we just said, you know, whoever needs a home or, or forever home will offer it to them. And how long have your adopted children been part of your forever family? Uh, Jordan, who's our youngest, um, he's seven today. Um, not like birthday happy birthday. Today. Well, I'm sorry, not like it's his birthday today. It's been like oh, okay. at this time. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, all of their birthdays are like within like a couple weeks of each other. So we just <laughs> it's crazy in May. Um, so we have uh, Jordan, who's seven, but we got he came to us when he was a, a month and a half old, um, and um, then Mateo came later when he was three uh, and a half. And now I'm forgetting the, the, your question. <laughs> what was the question? Uh, it was just at, at, at what ages and how long have oh, yeah. your adopted children been a part of your forever family? Yeah. So yeah, they came then. Um, and then, uh, you know, it took a while for Jordan. Uh, he, he wasn't adopted until he was two and a half. And then Mateo, he came to us and um, rights had already been terminated. So they just said, you know, by Texas law, they have to stay with you six months before you can adopt them. And, and so that's what happened. We waited six months and then we were able to, able to adopt them. What, what was your approach to acclimating your adopted children into your existing family structure? Yeah, I mean, I think really, you know, we really want to just, to, you know, have a, a place that the child, when they comes into our home, that it would just feel safe 
um, you know, for them, for them, safe for them to grow up in. And you know, since, as I said, you know, the goal is reunification with the respective families. Um, uh, so like, we really just, you know, you, you don't know if they're going to stick with us for a short time, like a couple weeks or for longer. Um, and so really just trying to make them feel safe because they just been through this trauma um, of leaving their home uh, or being taken from their home. And even if it wasn't a, uh, you know, a healthy environment, the most of those kids, you know, want to go back to that home. That's, that's what they feel. Even if it wasn't safe, that's where they feel safe. And so really our goal was just to make sure that they could feel like they could trust us. Um, and so, you know, making sure that they knew that they had food always available, they had a safe space to, to you know, bedroom to sleep in. Um, and so our goal was just as much as we could make them feel safe um, and, and loved in that time. But, you know, a lot of it was since we said younger than Knox, you know, at the time when Knox, uh, when we first began, he was four. Um, so we had some, you know, infants and some, um, Mateo ended up being the oldest child um, that came to us. Um, and so for him, it, it was just a, a a matter of like I think Knox, uh, our, our 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 biological son, he becomes a, a, a huge part of the the whole process because he was able to be like, hey, you want to play video games? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you know, kids are like, great, this uh, this feels safe. <laughs> so wonderful. Uh, as as a dad, how do you balance showing love? Uh, and and parenting your biological child and your adopted children. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we would. I don't know if I, I think it would be any different if we had three biological children. Um, now I know you have. Um, is it how many children? Four. Yes. And so I, I feel like um, you know if we had if they were all three were biologically. I, I mean. I, I think you love each one more and more. And I think kids usually think like that, you know, especially if, you know, you're, you're the young kid and all of a sudden a baby comes along, you know, like kids think that, you know, you have a fixed pie on, uh, of love. You know, if another comes, that means they get less of your love. But I, I, I truly believe that the, the pie grows um, and that you, your love for all the kids grows uh, with it. Uh, and so, um, you know, at first you, 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 <laughs> With, with especially with foster children, you're, you're going, okay, I'm going to love them, even though they're, you know, they may not stay here. And so you, um, you, you, I think there's an innate tendency to almost um, self-protect um, yourself, you know, because if the child does leave, um, but um, I think, you know, that people say like, you know, people have said before, you know, I don't know if I could do that. That seems like that would, that would just hurt too much. And, and I think the goal is to go, yes, it does hurt and it should hurt. Like they deserve that. Um, even if they leave. And so I think that's been you know, kind of like, we just said, even if they leave, like we're going to treat them like they're our own, um, and, and love them like our own. Cause otherwise they're just, they're deprived of, especially that young early years when they need just affection and, um, especially for the infant stage, just holding and touching. Um, they, they, I think that's something that we, we just need to give to children at that age. Yeah. 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 That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Uh, Slim, there are of course some challenges when people adopt transracially. What are some of the challenges that you have faced yeah, early on we knew that if you know if these children stay 
with us long term. We we want to be able to honor the culture that they would have had if they had stayed um, in their biological family. And so for us, you know, being um, you know, growing up in what we, you know, we call like the white bubble. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we started reading books um, by, by men and women of color and then started reading, you know, listening to podcasts as well to just kind of get a wider perspective. Um, but, you know, but even that we, we realized we, we, we just, we lived in a very white neighborhood uh, in a very white school at a, at a very white church. Um, and so even though we felt like we were uh, internally, we're, we're, we're taking positive steps towards, um, um, you know, embracing uh, another culture. Uh, the culture we swam in was white. Um, mm. and, and, and that was, you know, that was some of our, our, our impetus to, to move out of our neighborhood um, and to, to plant a, a, a different church, a multicultural church, just because we knew that, like, there, it, it, it was almost impossible to, you know, turn the, the Titanic uh, that, that, we, that we were on. So, um, yeah, so I think that, that that challenge is just there for anyone who, who um, adopts um, that, that has kind of the white culture background of, of trying to say we can do things internally. But if you're living in, in, a, in, a, in a neighborhood that's all white or in an area that's all white, um, you know, they're going to grow up and, and be the, the, the cultural outsider. Now, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over that. Um, I think what you just said is, is very significant and needs a little bit of, of unpacking. You said that uh, your, your family was growing up in a predominantly white culture, white community. Mm-hmm. And you said as a result of that, you relocated. Yeah. Yeah. In, in large part because of your, your children and wanting them to have a different cultural experience. Where, where were you living and where did you relocate to? Yeah. So uh, if you're in the Waco area, we were, we were in a, a part of the city called Woodway um, and we were at a South Bosque elementary. Um, and I just remember, um, uh, and so, and then to answer your question, we, we re- relocated to East Waco, which, um, <laughs> you know, geographically it's like Northwest Waco. <laughs> I know your, I know your church is here, Marlon. So I'm sure yeah. you, uh, <laughs> how do you describe it? You, you, yeah. You, yeah. And so, um, the, the communities are, are drastically different. Yes. Um, and I think you are now living in a community that is predominantly African-American, 85, 90% African-American. And so you move from a community that was uh, predominantly white to a community mm-hmm. that is pro- predominantly African-American. And the reason I didn't want to gloss over that, and, and you can speak more to this, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's one thing to read culturally sensitive books. Yeah. You know, one thing to maybe watch a culturally sensitive documentary, mm-hmm. um, but you cannot manufacture culture. Yeah. And um, uprooting yourself, moving to a different community is not uh, a small notion. That takes a lot. Um, and one of the reasons that I wanted to speak to you is, is because I think that in many ways demonstrates why you are such an amazing dad. Um, that is a different level of commitment. 
Can you speak to what that transition has been like for your family and how it's impacted your children? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, for us, it just, it, I think we just kept seeing the the cracks in, uh, in the, the system and going, we can't keep um, raising our children in, in this, um, what we felt, like I said, like a, we felt like a white bubble of like just, or I've used the illustration of there's an old, um, I don't know if it was the nineties or something, not, but there was a Jim Carrey movie called the Truman show where it just felt like we were in like this movie <laughs> that uh, everyone was actors around, but it wasn't real. Um, and so I, I think, you know, growing up and even, even where we were living, it just felt like we weren't aware of um, some of the issues of the day that are becoming it seems like more apparent uh, to the rest of the world now, um, but had have always been there, and so we 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 felt like we, we needed to needed to to move, um, and um, I mean when one of our our you know one of our boys he was uh, I, I tell the story he was wearing this um, camouflage shirt at school um, and he was he kept wearing it and I was like in one at one week he wore it twice in the same week. And I was like, you can't do that. That's dirty. <laughs> and I was like, you really like that camouflage shirt? <laughs> he said, yeah, you know why? And I was like, no, why? And he goes, well, cause Bobby has the same shirt. And I was like, oh, cool. Is Bobby a friend of yours? And he said, yeah. And he's got brown skin and curly hair too. And, <laughs> mm. and this was like pre-K, K, I can't remember. Um, and I just said, oh, you got one other kid that you can identify with. We got to make a change. Um, wow. So we, that, that was just kind of, it was just, you know, it's almost, you know, feel like we failed our way forward here. Um, but since moving in the neighborhood, I feel like <laughs> we, we, we feel like we've had more community um, here than we did in Woodway. Um, in, in the sense that, you know, our first day we were here, my, my truck had a flat um, and I had three neighbors come out to help me fix it. Um, <laughs> Wow. You know, our, our neighbors across the street are always having, you know, front front lawn cookouts uh, instead of back, you know, backyard cookouts. And and I think that's that might be a cultural difference there. Um, I feel like there's you kind of see your neighbors more um, in the in this community. Mm-hmm. And so you, you know them more. So um, and then our kids, you know, I feel like they've been embraced well in the, the schools and things like that as well. And so we've we've just tried to make sure we were much more involved in the schools as well. Excellent. How, how do you handle being a very visible family, especially when that visibility is not always positive? Yeah, I mean, I think we welcome it. I mean, <laughs> there, uh, as you said, it's not always positive. Um, you know, views of white people adopting non-white children, um, and you can even see that you know recently with you know Supreme Court uh, you know nominee, <laughs> uh, because I think some people see you. Know, uh, you know, they, they, they can see uh, themselves by doing this type of a, a adoption uh, as a marker that they're, they're not racist uh, or something like that. Um, and they just kind of raise these kids to be like their self-protection. Um, you know, it's almost like the new form of I have a black friend. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and so with such a negative example of like as that, uh, I think it's easy to assume that everyone's motive for adopting is is kind of skewed and self-serving in that way. 
and or kind of condescending uh, or paternalistic. And and so we just try to do our best to try to debunk that and distance ourselves. Um, but and so I, I'll, I'll almost welcome the visibility just so that people go can know that there's another way of doing it and, and caring for your children. Um, you know, and you know, just doing everything we can to you know honor uh, their culture. So yeah. Yeah, as you alluded to, at the center of transracial adoption is the issue of race. And historically, uh, we don't do very well with race in America. Mm-hmm. How do you help your children navigate the space of racial injustice and even issues of, of immigration? Mm. Yeah, um, it's a big conversation of the day, isn't it? Um, you know, our, our, my, I, our kids notice the skin color difference, um, you know, just like told, told you about that example of, you know, he's got brown skin and curly hair, so they notice it. Um, but I don't know if they assign the value to it as much as we have done in a culture. And so I think, you know, it's a, a racial, uh, you know, construct, um, but, but it's still, that's the, that's the society we live in. And so we, we feel like, you know, okay, we're going to talk about this. Um, you know, and so our, um, we talk about our, our, our country's history um, with, with racism and slavery um, and, you know, how something so traumatic and ingrained uh, in, into its history and didn't just all of a sudden stop. Um, and it doesn't seem like, and I, you know, we try to say it's not as if they stopped because everyone just felt really guilty and repented and wanted to change their ways. <laughs> um, it was almost a forced, um, you know, kind of like f- when we talk about our kids, you know, like, you know, apologize to one another, they, you know, sometimes like, sorry, you know, doesn't feel like people actually want to apologize mm-hmm. and want to address mm-hmm. the, the past. And so we just say racism hasn't gone away. It's just adapted. Um, and so we talk to them about what that looks like nowadays, um, you know, with, with the police um, and how to act around the police. Uh, we talk to them about what biases and um, kind of self-serving bias. And we also talk to them about Trump uh, and we, talk to them about the wall. Um, and, you know, so I, I'm sure our kids have got a very, um, <laughs> I just want, I don't know if any of this stuff was ever taught to me at that age. And so I'm, I'm curious mm-hmm. if we're giving them too much at such a young age, but we just feel like, you know, the, the flip side of this has usually been like, well, it's not at least the culture we grew up in was we don't talk about hard things. Um, and, and as if that makes things better. And so, you know, we, we want to talk about that. And so that, you know, like I said, we, we, we try to read books, you know, for the kids, there's some books and you know, like mixed me is one that we've read to the kids. Um, you know, for us as adults, you know, we, you know, we went hard. We, we were reading the Ta-Nehisi Coates, you know, between the world and me, um, you know, we're trying to read the new Jim Crow and, you know, um, now Ibram kendi has got some good stuff out now, but we'll, you know, we'll try to work through, but, you know, again, just trying to also celebrate, uh, be intentional about celebrating holidays and making sure, uh, uh, you know, who we have over dinner, going to different, you know, went to the Civil Rights Museum and, and things like this. It's just trying to mm-hmm. fully ingratiate all of our kids into this. Um, and I think that's just been really important for not just our, you know, our adoptive kids, but even our biological son, uh, for him to get this fuller orbed experience of uh, the country we live in. That's beautiful. Uh, it, it is. Uh, there are challenges uh, with transracial adoption, but there are also some positives. I think you just lifted some. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was actually uh, an, an organization out of Colorado 
that identified four benefits of transracial adoption. They said the four benefits of transracial adoption for, for children are one that it creates a more diverse cultural uh, home experience, uh, that it provides better coping abilities regarding adversity, mm. that it promotes uh, positive racial and, and ethnic identities and also greater self-esteem. Would, would you agree with that assessment? Uh, and, and what are the positives that you see regarding transracial adoption? Yeah, no, I definitely, I think I would agree with that assessment. I feel like we're living out some of that uh, and, and seeing it uh, play out in, in our boys. Um, and it's been a really beautiful thing to, say, to see because uh, I think it's one thing to feel like, oh yeah, we should do these things. It's another to go like, we're missing out if we don't um, go down this path um, and, and, and seeing a more diverse, um, not just, not just ethnically, but like more multicultural and, 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 and seeing, uh, as you said, kind of that, that, that diverse cultural enrichment. And so, yeah, I think we're seeing that played out and I absolutely agree with that. Um, but I think, yeah, I think, um, some of the positives, um, about this as well is just, yeah, watching, you know, us, but, uh, uh, you know, our, our kiddos as well, um, you know, that I think embrace what I've, you know, I've heard, you know, you've heard Brian Stevenson, uh, who wrote Just Mercy, um, you know, fantastic story, but also a lawyer and all the work he's done over the many, many years. Um, and he talks about like, you know, how do we get people to care about other people whom they could never, whom they never really have to deal with? You know, like, how do you actually make those people want to change? How do you change? And his answer is proximity. Um, mm. but he also says proximity, not just geographically, because if it's just geographically, if you just move into the neighborhood and, and your, your heart hasn't moved in and, and your, your experience hasn't moved in and you haven't really moved in, that's just gentrification. Um, he says proximity to the struggles and to the hurts of the community, um, allow you to mourn with those who mourn and also rejoice with those who rejoice. And so I think that to me, I think has become uh, a very powerful thing, that proximity to bring us uh, in with uh, a community that we didn't know we weren't with and we, we, you know, to our shame and to what we would confess, you know, our, we had scales over our eyes and it wasn't until we adopted these boys. Did we become close enough to the issues that we, it, it made us say, we have to care about this for their good um, as well as for our good. Um, and so it just, it's asked, <laughs> it's totally changed our whole outlook on life. Uh, and so hundred percent believe in that and, and what, you know, the benefits of, you know, transracial adoption. I know there, as we said, there, there's some negative, you know, um, pitfalls that can happen, but I think there's just so much positive that, that, that can and does happen. This is not Sunday morning, but if it was, I would have said preach pastor, preach. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> uh, so uh, Slim, Slim, um, there are some people who, who may want to uh, connect with you and, and follow uh, the work that you are doing. Uh, do you have any social, social media platforms that people can connect with you? Uh, yeah, we're, um, I'm on Instagram, um, pastor slim six, three, um, that's, that's our anniversary, June 3rd, <laughs> pastor slim six, three, um, on Instagram. And then, you know, I'm on, on Facebook as well. I, I, I don't, <laughs> I, I Twitter stock. I, I just, I just go and like other people's tweets. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably not a good follow on Twitter. <laughs> 
That's nice. Well, well, thank you so much today for sharing your journey and thank you for being an amazing dad. Uh, thank you for having me on. I appreciate that. I look forward to hearing some more about other dads. Great. Thank you. Thank you for joining the Amazing Dads Podcast. The Amazing Dads Podcast is a breath of fresh air intended to provide advocacy, information, and resources for fathers and male caregivers. It is a space where fathers and father figures share their personal journeys as dads. It's a space for experts to provide timely and relevant information that shape and impact the lives of dads. The Amazing Dads Podcast is a breath of fresh air that strengthens fathers, families, and communities, and most of all, creates a father-positive space that reshapes the narrative of fathers. I'm your host, Marlon Jones, proud dad and director of fatherhood services at Starry. The Amazing Dads podcast is presented by Starry's Fatherhood Program. Starry's Fatherhood Program offers the Fatherhood Plus Academy, the Halftime Dads Group, our Fathers in Training Camp, and one-on-one counseling and coaching. For more information on our programming, visit starry.org. That's Starry spelled S-T-A-R-R-Y, starry.org, or call us at 254-244-2400 because dads are amazing.